Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down this week's Live Golf event, Live Valderrama. We're going to be profiling the course itself and what type of golf should succeed here at Valderrama. And then we're going to be breaking down some golfers that should be in your DFS lineups and on your betting cards for this week's Live Golf event. Now, if I'm being totally honest, DraftKings was a little bit late in getting out their pricing for uh, the Live Tour event this week. Normally, they get out on a Tuesday. This week, it was a Wednesday. So this video is coming out a little bit later than usual. But if this is still in time for you to go check out the Rocket Mortgage Classic preview, please go do that. It is available in the podcast feed and it is available on the YouTube page. Now also, please, while you're here, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the channel. It really does help me out more than you could ever know. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and review. It really does help me out and I really do appreciate everything that you guys um, have given me in terms of that. Now, I haven't really talked about the whole live PGA merger, quote unquote, um, since it happened the week of the RBC Canadian Open. If you don't want to hear you know, my merger talk, just skip ahead about two minutes and we'll get started with the preview then. But I do want to just give some quick thoughts on it. So I kind of waited this long to talk about it because there's still so many things that are unknown about this merger. Um, we really don't know how the live golfers are going to be integrated back onto the PGA Tour. We don't know, you know how the new PGA Tour schedule is going to work. We don't know if the FBI or you know, the, the Supreme Court or whatever it is, is even going to be okay with, you know, this not violating antitrust laws. So um, there's still a long way to go and a lot of things that need to be ironed out for this merger. Um, but to me, there's a few things that are inherently obvious, no matter how this all turns out. And the first thing is that Jay Monahan looks really bad. Like there's just no way around that. You know, even if, you know, you are so against the idea of the live tour, even if you are so against the idea of the Saudis investing that amount of money into professional golf when they first approached him about it, then that's fine. Like be opposed to that. But to go on national TV and use the 9-11 families to kind of virtue signal the live tour and then end up taking the same money that the live tour was giving to the golfers a year later is just a really bad look. And to do all of it while kind of undermining your players' trust without telling them is also just a really, really bad look. And I think that when they're, you know, when the merger is finalized, I do think that it's going to be kind of a post-Jay Monahan era. I would be extremely surprised if he is still the commissioner of the PGA Tour or whatever the new entity ends up naming itself by the very end of it. The second thing that's inherently obvious is that the Live Tour itself, or Live Golf, was a means to an end for the PIF, or the Public Investment Fund, which is you know the Saudi Arabian-backed entity um, where all of the money for Live Golf is coming from. The PIF, basically, at the end of the day, wanted influence in professional golf, and they did not mind if it was... Um, you know, just to own a few events on the PGA Tour or to found their new league, which they did with Live. But, you know, at the end of the day, they kind of ended up buying the entire PGA Tour. It's kind of incredible how it all turned out. And so to me, I think that the Live Tour itself was just a means to get to that end. I would be incredibly surprised if the Live Tour as we know it now continues to exist after the merger ends up going through. That's just kind of the whole vibe that I get from it. I, I think that you know, the live tour was just a way for the Saudis to get that influence because what they basically did was they created a competitor that forced the PGA tour to shell out a lot of money that they did have, but did not want to spend. 
And then when that competitor got big enough and the PGA Tour's pockets started running out, the PGA Tour K then decided to merge and give the PIF that influence. So um, it's definitely a very interesting tale how it all worked out. I'm sure there's going to be um, documentaries and such made about it in years to come that are going to kind of break down the finer points of it. But it's just a super unexpected story. But at the end of the day, if the PIF finds a way to be good to the golfers that are on the PGA Tour and on the Live Tour and create a good product and you know be good for the fans, be good for television broadcasts, be good for the golfers itself, then at the end of the day, everything kind of worked out. And the, the goals of Phil Mickelson and the other guys who were first to join the Live Tour kind of were realized because they're going to end up with a tour that treats them right and gives them plenty of the money that they think they deserve. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, the human rights record of the Saudi Arabian government is not great. And um, I kind of hope that you know they're going to be in the spotlight now that they kind of own professional golf. And so hopefully that, that you know their human rights record can be cleaned up a little bit. It's not really my place to judge, but I do think it's going to create an interesting, um, interesting dynamic for the guys who were very virtue signaling against the Live League when it was founded. Now, if you do remember when um, I first started talking about the Live Tour, what I had initially suggested was that the Saudis, you know, before they created Live, they should have went to the PGA Tour and just tried to be the new WGC, where they just kind of bought a few events on the PGA Tour calendar, held at their courses, invited who they wanted to invite, and shot a ton of money to do so. The PGA Tour, at the end of the day, if they wanted to exist as they did, they should have just on through that path and just let live be the new WGC and, you know, have them have their events and have the PGA tour have their events and kind of, kind of keep it separate, but calm. And that's kind of not what ended up happening. And now, you know, we're at where we're at, where this merger is kind of just awaiting, um, I, I'll, I'll say legal approval, <laughs> so, you know, before it can be finalized. All right. So those are just my thoughts on the live PGA merger, even if you can call it live PGA merger, I guess PIF PGA merger would be the more correct way to word it. But anyway, those are just my thoughts on the whole situation. Obviously, there's still a lot to be ironed out from it. Uh, and there's still golf to be played. We still got golf going on two tours right now with live and PGA. So this week's live event, live Valderrama, I do think is going to be one of the better events for the live tour this season. So let's go ahead and start breaking that down first by talking about the course itself. But first, let's get a quick word from our friends at Spotify. All right, so Valparama is going to be a little bit of a different test than what we've seen for the most part on the Live Tour this season. And it's kind of a different test from a lot of what we see on the PGA Tour for the most part. This is actually a venue that is pretty historic. This is probably the... I would say the top-rated venue that Liv has had on their schedule um, in each of the past two years, if I'm being honest. This is voted one of the top courses in Europe year in, year out. It hosted a Ryder Cup back in the 90s, which actually Sergio Garcia and Phil Mickelson both played in. Um, and then it is also a course that has hosted an event on the DP World Tour year in, year out. So let's talk a little bit about the specifics about Real de Valderrama Golf Course. So it is officially a par 71 and 7,000 28 yards on the official score card provided by Live Golf. Now, all of the par fives are going to be reachable in two shots from good drives. Um, there's one that is going to be a little bit longer. I believe there's one in the 580s, but for the most part, the other two are going to be reachable. Um, the key distance for par fours this week is going to be 450 to 500 yards. Um, really, this is a short course on the card, but it's not really a 
like a super short course in terms of the whole lengths. The par threes are about average length. They're all within the realm of 170, 220 yards. Now, if you look at pictures of this golf course, which we do have, if you are watching the YouTube video, this is from their official website. Um, this is a very narrow golf course. There are oak trees that are overhanging over most of the fairways on this golf course. The fairways are not very wide um, and the greens are not very big. And so when you look at Valderrama, this is a course where accuracy is going to play a premium. You can be sitting in the fairway and still have a shot that is obstructed from the oak trees. And so having an accurate drive that is going to put yourself in a position to have a shot at the green is going to be very important. And then with the greens being small, Small, being able to hit a lot of the greens is going to be very important. This is not going to be a birdie fest. Un very contrast to the PGA Tour site this week at Detroit Golf Club. This is going to be a course where par is a good score and you're going to have to hit greens if you want to have a chance to win this one. Now, as previously stated, this course did host an event on the DP World Tour known as the Andalusia Masters. So if you look at the history of that event, the 2022 edition of the Andalusia Masters was won by Adrian Otegi with a score of minus 19, which was actually the tournament record by nine strokes. This is normally not an event that gets that deep. 2021 was won by Matt Fitzpatrick. 2020 was won by John Catlin. 2019 was won by Christian Bezadenhut. And then Sergio Garcia won in 2011, 2017, and 2018, which were the previous three editions of the tournament, with Graham McDowell winning the inaugural tournament in 2010. So yeah, Sergio Garcia has won this tournament three times. Now, Sergio Garcia has also gone out and stated he is a native Spaniard, um, and he has also stated that this is his favorite golf course in the world. So naturally, there's going to be a lot of attention, and there's going to be a lot of expectations for Sergio Garcia this week with an event that's basically at his quote-unquote home course, um, and you know, at a tournament that he's historically done very well at. Well, it's not the same tournament, but it's a course that he has won a tournament at three different times. So there's going to be very high expectations on Sergio Garcia this week. I would say that, you know, if the trip to Adelaide was Cam Smith and Mark Leishman's home event, then this is Sergio Garcia's home event on the Live Tour. Now, Robert Trent Jones Sr. Um, designed this golf course in the 70s, and he designed a lot of other famous American golf courses, most notably Baltusrol and Bell Reve, which hosted the PGA Championships in 2016 and 2018, respectively, Port Royal, home of the Bermuda Championship, and then Firestone Country Club, which is the host of the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. So let's kind of break those down one by one. The WGC Bridgestone Invitational um, you know, kind of moved around a little bit, but if you're just looking at the events that were in Firestone, Dustin Johnson did win there. Tiger Woods won there a lot. Um, Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Thomas, Shane Lowry, and Rory McIlroy are all winners there, um, along with the rarity of Keegan Bradley being a winner there. Um, so when you look at this golf course, it's not necessarily one that caters specifically to bombers, but it is one where you're going to have to heat up with the irons and have to heat up with the putter if you want to win. Um, Sergio Garcia and Henrik Stenson and Bubba Watson all have runner-up finishes here at this course, as well as Lee Westwood, and they all four currently play uh, for Live Golf. Now, the PGA Championship in 2016, which was the one that was at Baltusrol, was won by Jason, or I'm sorry, was won by Jimmy Walker, with Jason Day as a runner-up. Uh, Brandon Grace 
um, live golfer was T4, Martin Keimer was T7, Henrik Stenson T7, Paul Casey T10, Patrick Reed T13, and that's pretty much all of the notable results from the livers, I guess you could call them, um, in that event. Now, the 2018 PGA Championship at Bell Reef was won by Brooks Kepka, and this was not a great tournament for what would end up becoming um, the golfers on the Live Tour. Thomas Peters was the only one with a notable result. He was T6. Uh, as Well, I guess you could say, you know, Kepka did win the tournament, so Ke- there was a good result for Brooks Kepka. Um, but, you know, Thomas Peters was T6. Um, Tiger Woods, Adam Scott, and John Rahm were um, in the middle there. Stuart Sink was also T4 in this event. Stuart Sink also popped up a few times at the WGC Bridgestone. Stuart Sink tended to play Robert Jones golf courses really well. So if we talk about some comp courses, my comp courses for this one of ones that are currently played on the PGA Tour are Harbortown, home of the RBC Heritage, Sedgefield, home of the Wyndham Championship, and Riviera Country Club, home of the Genesis Invitational. Now, Harbortown fits because it is the most narrow, the most short golf course on the PGA Tour. It also has a few common winners, right? Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick won the Andalusia Masters, whereas the only site that Matthew Fitzpatrick has won in the continental United States. Well, he's won at the country club, obviously the U.S. Open, and then he won this year at Harbortown. So is a golf course that fits Matt Fitzpatrick's skill set for both of them, then I think we can use that as a comp. Sedgefield is another short golf course um, that should feature some crossover, very narrow. Another one where you can end up with the trees blocking out your shot. Um, and another one where green and regulation percentage is very, um, you know, correlated to victory. And then Riviera is another one that I just think that when you look at the overall visuals of um, Valderrama and you kind of look at some of the angles that you have to play, that's kind of very Riviera-esque. And there are some live guys that have had a lot of success at Riviera. Now I'm going to look at the custom model on rickrungood.com. You know, we can kind of look at some of these comp courses on there. If you look at the 48 golfers in the live field, um, in terms of stroke scanned at Riviera, the top five is Phil Mickelson. I'm sorry, the top five is Dustin Johnson. Then Phil Mickelson is second. Mito Pereira, third. Bubba Watson, fourth. Paul Casey, fifth. With Joaquin Neiman, who does boast a win at Riviera, coming in sixth. Now at Harbortown, Brooks Kepka checked in at number one with Joaquin Neiman, two. Bryson DeChambeau, three. That one was a little bit surprising to me. Abraham Answer, four. And Mito Pereira, five. Brandon Grace was a winner at Harbortown. Um, and then uh, Harold Varner III, not a great track record at Harbortown, but he was in the final grouping in the 2022 edition of that tournament. Sedgefield, um, you have Kevin Na with number one, Sergio Garcia, number two. He was a winner at Sedgefield. Um, Patrick Reed, number three, also a winner. Mark Leishman, number four. Cam Smith, number five. Um, and then you had notable good performances. Henrik Stenson was a winner there. Brandon Grace, his historically played well there as well. Um, and then on Rick Run Good, I decided to put some weight for my custom model on short courses because this is, in fact, a short course. Uh, in terms of strokes gained short courses, Bryson DeChambeau is number one. Bern Wiesberger, number two, Leishman, three, Answer, four, and Dustin Johnson, five. Now, because of the limited stats that we have on the Live Tour, um, I did decide to go ahead and put an emphasis in this custom model on strokes gained total. More on that later. Um, but in the custom model with those comp courses and with strokes gained total um, as an implication, Mito Pereira came, in, came out as my number one golfer, followed by Cameron Smith, Brandon Grace, Brooks Kepka, and Patrick Reed as my top five. Really, the biggest value play I had was Anderbon Lahiri coming in at number 10. Uh, I was expecting Sergio to come in very close to the top, and he he, he kind of settled in a little bit there. He was number eight in my custom model, so I'm kind of okay with how everything turned out. All right, so now let's switch our 
um, viewpoint to instead of thinking about the course itself, let's talk about some golfers that should be in our DFS lineups and on our betting cards. So if you look here on rickrundagood.com like I've got on the YouTube screen, in terms of the last 36 rounds, looking at strokes gain totals, this is taking events from Live Golf. This is also taking the majors that these guys played in. Brooks Kepka is the number one golfer on the Live Tour in terms of strokes gain total. Cameron Smith coming in second. Brandon Grace third. Mito Pereira fourth. And Anurban Lahiri fifth. Now, notably, Scott Vincent checks in at number eight. Scott Vincent, I believe, is going to be the chalky value play in this tournament. He's only $6,700 on DraftKings, but he's playing some really good golf lately. Um, that's kind of the best information I think you can get just straight from this sheet. Um, I'm going to kind of look through now, look at the DraftKings pricing and talk about some guys that we can go with. So at the top, when you make your DraftKings lineup this week, or if you are betting on this tournament, I think you kind of have to make your choice between the big three Brooks Kepka, Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson. So what I do like about Brooks Kepka is he does have a good history at those Robert Trent Jones courses, and he did surprisingly have a good history at Harbortown. He's also playing really well as of late. You know, he won the PGA Championship, kind of slacked off a little bit with a T12 um, in Live DC, and then kind of a disappointing T17 in the US Open where he kind of outwardly said that he did not like the golf course. And kind of, I think we should think about what we know about Brooks Kepka in his career so far. Brooks Kepka lives for major championships, right? So I don't think that the last major was necessarily the best setup for Brooks in that Liv had an event three weeks before the U.S. Open was played. It wasn't really a true tune-up. It was really kind of a um, post-PGA championship hangover for Brooks where he really didn't have his best stuff at Liv DC and still came in T12. I think he's as safe a bet as anybody to come in the top 10 of this event here at Valderrama this week. Um, and I do think that he is a pretty solid bet to win. I think that thinking about where Brooks's mindset might be, which is always a difficult game to play, um, I do think he is going to try to be ramping up for the Open Championship, which is a major that he has not won. So I do think he is going to be giving it his absolute best effort here this week at Valderrama. Now, second on the board is Cam Smith. So Cam Smith, out of all the live guys, had the best finish at the U.S. Open with a fourth place finish. But this was kind of vintage Cam Smith. He was not great off the tee. He was very good with his irons, very dialed in, and was red hot with the putter, gaining over seven strokes at the U.S. Open, and he actually also gained over seven strokes with the putter at the PGA Championship. I do not think that this course sets up particularly well for Cam Smith. Cam Smith is a guy that, yes, he can get red hot with the irons. He can get red hot with the putter, but he can kind of spray the driver off the tee a little bit. He is not the most accurate with the driver in his hand. He's not really good with the driver in his hand. So I don't think this is a great setup for him because if he continues to be wild with the driver, then he's just going to end up finding his way into some tree trouble. And, and I just really don't like that for Cam Smith. I don't think this is the best spot for him. I will probably be passing on Cam Smith this week. Now, Dustin Johnson has probably been the most up and down of all the top live guys. He, you know, finally cashed in with a win at Live Golf Tulsa back in May um, and then followed it up with a nearly a first round leader at the PGA Championship, but faded over the weekend to a T55 finish, disappointing T23 at Live DC, and then a T10 at the US Open where he was really dialed in for most of his game at the US Open. He really gave the whole tournament away 
um, and kind of knocked himself out of contention with a quad bogey on Saturday. Um, and then on Sunday, the broadcast didn't show a whole lot of them, but if you kind of look at the individual shots, he gave himself a lot of makeable birdie putts that he just didn't cash in on, and it kind of shows in the end result he did lose over one stroke putting at the U.S. Open. I think this is a pretty good profile for DJ, knowing that all facets of his game are kind of going well right now, with the exception of the fact that he just has to stay engaged and play 54 solid holes and with you know kind of the stipulation that he just needs to flip around the putter the only thing that he needs to flip is the putter i kind of feel a lot better about dj heading into this week than i do about cam smith heading into this week so in terms of constructing a DraftKings lineup i think if i were to play one of the big three i think my preference would be brooks kepka so if you were to go ahead and play brooks kepka i do think that you can actually still play Sergio Garcia, all right? Now, the only stipulation with Sergio Garcia is that he is going to be super popular heading into this week. Anybody who's doing any modicum of research for this tournament is going to find out that this is Sergio's favorite golf course and that he has won a tournament hosted at this golf course three separate times. And so I think Sergio is going to be super popular. When you look at the recent results, the U.S. Open, he actually played pretty well. Um, the previous live events, he had really not played that well. He did have a second place finish at Singapore, but I do think that that U.S. Open has him trending in the right direction at a golf course that he loves. If you are deploying him on DraftKings, just know that it is going to come with um, like a lot of ownership. He's going to be the most owned player on the slate. However, what I found in my time playing um, DraftKings with Live Golf is that ownership is really something that is to be expected, you know, because with only 48 golfers in the field, everybody is playing 12% of the field in their lineups. And so if you think about it that way, where the average ownership should be 12%, it's a little more palatable to kind of swallow, you know, a 30% owned golfer in your lineup, but you definitely don't want to fill your lineup with all of them, if I'm being totally honest. What is most important with Live, with it being a no-cut event, is finding guys who outperform their position in terms of their salary. So you really have to find the guys that in the 8k range can give you a top 10 in the 7k range can give you a top 15 in the 6k range can give you a top 20 like just a top 20 out of the guys in that range is going to give you a shot at success in DraftKings when it comes to live golf now in terms of you know below the big four i do not think this is a great spot for bryson DeChambeau. i would say long term i am a fan of where Bryson's game is trending, but I don't think that it suits this course very well at all with how narrow it is. And so I'm probably just going to pass on Bryson this week in terms of DraftKings, and I would not bet Bryson to win this tournament. Mito Pereira is a guy that I like, though. Um, at the U.S. Open, he missed the cut on the number. I believe he actually three-putted uh, the last green of his day to end up missing the cut, which is kind of a brutal way to go, if I'm being honest. Um, so I'm kind of willing to forgive that one, but I do like what he's done on the live tour. He's had two top five finishes in his last four live events. Um, and he's a guy that he popped up on a lot of those comp courses. And he's a guy that tends to be pretty accurate with his driver and can get red hot with his irons. So I do think that this is a really good spot for Mito. Just know that if you want to go Brooks and Sergio up top, which is kind of the build that I started with, you would probably have to pass on Mito. So I kind of do like a Brooks Mito build. Um, it does give you a little more flexibility than that Brooks Sergio build would, or you could go super flexible and go with like a Sergio Mito build, even if you wanted to. So um, there's definitely options with DraftKings this week when it comes to those guys, but I definitely think there's a fall off after Mito Pereira. Harold Varner is the most recent winner on the Live Tour with his win at Live DC, and he does have a pretty good track record at some of the comp courses, but I kind of just tend to think that 
guys like HV3, you know, he had his win, and I just think that it's not statistically likely that he turns in another elite performance in back-to-back -back events. So I will probably catch up with HV3 uh, later on on the schedule. Um, but, he, you know, coming off of that win, he definitely is playing some good golf. Um, I think there's definitely worse plays than Harold Varner III, but I, I probably won't get to him this week. Taylor Gooch has won twice on the Live Tour this season. Statistically, he's also one of the most accurate live golfers with his driver, and statistically, he's one of the most accurate live golfers with his irons in terms of his green regulation percentage. So if he's able to still hit a lot of fairways and hit a lot of greens, he's going to be in good shape. However, I think his price tag's a little bit too much on DraftKings for the golfer that he is. He's being priced up because of the two wins, and DraftKings kind of can't price him down because of those two wins. So he's another one that kind of like HV3, I will probably get to a, a later on in the rest of the season. Now, Patrick Reed is a guy that I did want to highlight also. So what we know about Patrick Reed is that he popped up on a lot of those comp courses. He is an elite short game player. So if he does miss the green, if this turns into a tournament where everybody is missing greens and it turns into a, an up and down contest, my money's on Patrick Reed. And so if this course ends up playing exceptionally difficult, I do think that that is a, you know, a good spot for Patrick Reed. He's made the cut at the last two majors. He was really disappointing just in his Saturday round at the U.S. Open. Um, but I do think that this could be a good spot for him, particularly if this golf course does play difficult. Now, looking further down the board, a guy I do want to talk about is Brendan Grace. So if we look at Brendan Grace, not only did he pop up on a few of those comp courses, but if you look at the strokes gain total for all of the live guys for this field in the last 36 rounds, um, you will see that Brendan Grace is ranked much higher than where his salary on DraftKings is. He's the third ranked golfer in this field in the last 36 rounds, and he's priced only $8,800. And really, you know, I know it's a little bit fluky because we don't have the exact breakdown of the stats from Liv, but it's apparently all been his putter where he's been losing strokes. And so I kind of like getting a guy who is playing well and he's still losing strokes with the putter. Brandon Grace is going to be one of my favorite plays this week. And he's kind of churned out good finishes on the Live Tour this season. His last two finishes have, have been second and T second or tie second um, in Tulsa. And so I do think this is a really good spot for Brandon Grace. Now, Abraham Answer has honestly been pretty objectionably bad on the live tour this season. Um, you know, he finished in 42nd in DC. He finished second to last 47th in Singapore. Um, but he did show signs of life with his game with making the cut at the US Open. And this is a course that is going to cater to accuracy. And so I kind of think that it's not such a bad idea to get a guy who's known for being accurate, even if he you know, isn't in the best form coming in. I don't mind Abraham answer this week. Now, Sebastian Munoz is a guy that I have played a lot in Live DFS, and I really, really like him this week. Um, he's a guy who, when he gets going, he gets going and he has the ability to get supremely hot. He's a very, he was, I guess I should say, a very popular first round leader bet on the PGA Tour when he played on the PGA Tour because of his ability to just get hot and go scorched earth for an entire round. And, and that's kind of panned out in what he's done on Live. He was second at Live Orlando, he was fourth at Live DC, and he did make the cut at the US Open. Now, another thing that I do want to point out with that, made cut at the U.S. Open is that Sebastian Munoz played pretty well tee to green. It was just the putter that was very bad. He lost almost six strokes putting at that U.S. Open. So again, kind of like what we talked about with Brandon Grace, he's a guy who is playing good golf and really just needs to flip the putter. So I really do like Sebastian Munoz this week. 
Now, Henrik Stenson and Paul Casey, as well as, I guess, Andrew Bon Lahiri, those three guys in that little range are all three guys that popped up on the comp courses. Henrik Stenson statistically has been one of the most accurate golfers on live this season in terms of his fairways and regulation and his greens and regulation. So I kind of wouldn't mind going back to him. His recent finishes on live have been pretty good as well with a T4 at DC and then a pair of T11s at Adelaide and at live Orlando. Now, looking further down the board, if we're looking for pure accuracy, Kevin Na is a very solid choice. Um, you know, he finished T6 at the last live event in D.C. Um, that kind of has me thinking that his game is trending in the right direction. Um, and so I definitely wouldn't mind a little bit of Kevin Na. If you're looking for the local angle, dear Lord, I hope I'm saying this correctly. Eugenio Lopez Chicara has been really, really solid in his last three starts on live with a T18 in D.C., T5 in Tulsa, and a T13 in Singapore. He's being priced up much higher than where his salary was um, because of those three performances, but I don't mind going back to him, honestly, and he is a native Spaniard. Now, looking further down the board, I do like Ian Poulter a little bit this week. Ian Poulter is a guy who, you know, kind of like Henrik Stenson. He's in the twilight of his career. He's not going to hit the ball as long as a lot of the other guys here on the Live Tour, but that's not his detriment this week because this is a short golf course. This is a positional golf course. Uh, and so his last three tournaments, he's finished in the top half. Well, last two tournaments, he's finished in the top half of the fields on Live with a T23 in D.C. and a T18 in Tulsa. Um, if there's ever going to be a spot to go to Poulter, I think these next two Live events – both, you know, in continental Europe, I think are going to be pretty good spots to go to him at. Now, Bubba Watson is a guy that he popped up on a few of the comp courses, but I'm probably going to pass on this week just because, you know, kind of like with Bryson DeChambeau, he can be a little bit wild with the driver. Um, and so that kind of worries me a little bit. You know, if he's getting wild with the driver here, you're going to have a lot of tree trouble. You know, you're just going to not be playing for pars. Um, and so I kind of don't think that's the best fit for Bubba. However, kind of like with what we talked about with Sebastian Munoz, he is capable of getting hot like he did in Tulsa, which was kind of also a narrow golf course as well when he came in T8. Um, and so Bubba Watson... I think there's pros and cons this week, but you know, I think with, with Bubba, he's a guy that if you're trying to win a GPP on DraftKings, he's a guy you can go with because he's not just going to come in like 27th place or 30th place. He's going to give you like a top 10 or he's going to come near dead last. I, I think there's one or, you know, it's going to be one of two outcomes this week with Bubba. Now looking further down the board, I think there are going to be two supremely popular value plays in the 6K range. The first one is going to be Scott Vincent, who is ranked eighth in the field in strokes gain total over his last 36 rounds. And when you look at what he's done, he's had some really, really good results recently. Um, T18 in DC, T16 in Tulsa, T4 in Singapore. Like we talked about, he's routinely outperforming his salary, which is really what we want to see with the Live Golf DFS. So Scott Vincent, he's going to be the most popular value play this week, no doubt about it. Now, another guy that I think is going to be popular as a value play this week is going to be David. It's spelled Puig, like Yassiel Puig, but I, I've seen this broad, on the broadcast, and I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Puge. I think I, I think I did that right, David Puge. Um, so anyway, he was really good in the last little event at D.C. He came in T12, and he was really good at the U.S. Open with a T39 finish. Now, if we look at the breakdown of the strokes gained for David Puge, also, keep in mind that he is a native Spaniard like Sergio Garcia. Um, we can see that he really was not great around the greens or approaching the greens at the U.S. Open. He was elite with the putter, though. Um, and so 
that it's kind of a shaky result knowing that he was elite with the putter and came in only T39 at the U.S. Open. But there's definitely worse names down here you could go with. I expect him, like um, Scott Vincent, to be the most popular value plays in the 6K range this week. So let me give you guys a value play that'll probably not be that popular. It's a guy who is, on paper, an accurate golfer and has won on the Live Tour this season, and that is Danny Lee. He won at Live Tucson uh, near the start of the season. So at a golf course that is not going to box him out with his lack of distance off the tee and where accuracy is going to be at a premium, I think this is going to be a pretty good setup for him. You know, he hasn't played well at the recent Live events, but those are courses that prioritize distance over um, accuracy off the tee. You look at the guys that played well in that, like Liv Tulsa. You know, you had Dustin and Bryson at the top of the leaderboard. Liv DC, you had HV3, you had Mito, you had guys that were really good drivers of the golf ball at the top of the leaderboard. So I do think this would be a better spot for Danny Lee than those two courses were, and I do think he could be one of the better value plays this week. All right, so that does it for the preview for Live Golf Valderrama. Hopefully, I was able to give you guys plenty of information here in this episode that you can use to fill out your DFS lineups or fill out your betting cards this week. If I were to make one official pick this week, one official pick to win Live Valderrama, I am going to go a little bit outside the box. I am going to go with Brandon Grace. I think that Sergio Garcia is going to be the popular pick amongst a lot of people this week. Brandon Grace is going to be my pick to officially win Live Valderrama. All right, so that does it for the episode. So if you made it this far, hopefully you like what you heard. Hopefully you got plenty of information that you can use. Please, if you like what you heard, please like and subscribe on YouTube. It really does help me out a lot. If you're listening on the podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast from, please rate and review the podcast. Again, it helps me out more than you could ever know, and I really do appreciate it. And hopefully, um, you know, I'm giving you guys some information that you can use to help win some money this week. All right, so we will be back next week for the next Live Golf event. We will also be previewing the PGA Tour event, the John Deere Classic, here in the same spot. So if you are subscribed, you'll be notified when those new episodes drop. All right, so best of luck to everybody this week. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next time.